What's up, everyone? It's your host, Mario Fraioli. We are back with a fresh episode of the Morning Shakeout podcast. I am stoked to be back on the mic. Here to help me introduce this one is my right-hand man, Chris Douglas, who you may or may not remember from AMA episodes of years past. Chris, always great to sit down and chat with you. Yeah, I'm super stoked for this for this episode and for this series. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what we're going to be listening to today. Yeah, you just you just gave it away. This episode is going to be the first in a four-part series that I am calling the Pillars of Performance. And for me, the four pillars of running performance are the training itself. You got to put in the work in order to improve as a runner and the right kind of work. Unfortunately, yes, you yes. have to put in some work. That is, that is a key component. <laughs> uh, but one of the pillars that kind of holds this up um, the second is going to be uh, kind of a combo, strength and conditioning, um, just basically building a better athlete. And then what goes hand in hand with that is just the maintenance and work required to handle all of this work that you're putting in. Uh, and for that episode, we are going to have Ein Bui, Dr. Ein Bui, uh, doctor of physical therapy and certified strength and conditioning coach who is going to help walk us through that. The third component uh, is the mental side of it, the mental training, performance skills to you know help you get the best out of yourself in training and racing. And for that conversation, we're going to sit down or I'm going to sit down with Dr. Justin Ross, who's a certified sports psychologist out of Colorado. I'm pumped to have that conversation with him. He's someone I've corresponded with over the years. So I'm really looking forward to you know, sharing that one with everyone. And then the last component is going to be nutrition, both from a day-to-day standpoint, recovery, and then in some instances, you know, during training and racing itself. And I don't have that guest lined up yet, uh, but stay tuned. We will have it in place here in the coming weeks. So this Pillars of Performance series is going to be spread out um, from now, which is you know, mid-March, and we're going to release an episode about every two weeks. Um, So it'll be end of March, then kind of early April, and then late April to wrap it up. And, you know, my hope is that with these four episodes, they really complement each other really well, and they help runners of of all ability levels just realize, like, what are these four pillars that are going to hold up just the foundation of performance that you can you know, build your entire running career on, whether you are someone who is new to the sport, someone who is a competitive age grouper trying to qualify for Boston, Olympic trials level or beyond. I mean, there's just more, you know, more parallels between what you need to do to perform at a high level than there are differences. And I really want to show that through this series. Yeah, I love it. I'm super stoked for this. Um, I want to ask you though, like, how did you come up with this idea? Like where, uh, you know, why, why do you want to release this now? Um, it's a good question. I mean, you know, as I've talked about a few times in recent months with the podcast, I really want to get away from doing just that weekly long form deep dive conversation with a guest. And I'm still going to do a, a few of those episodes here throughout the year, but I wanted to try some new things in a series or, or, series of series really, um, is something that I'd been like noodling on. And, and one of them was just in the realm of, of performance. Um, and you know, I really think about it and it's like a lot of people talk about the specific workouts that, you know, you need to do to become a faster marathon. Those are great. Um, people talk about, you know, what's the, 
you know, what's the diet of the month? Um, you know, that's going to help me to have better endurance or, or better performance. Um, you know, that type of thing. What's the latest like mental tips and tricks, um, that are going to help me to become a better athlete. I'm like, I just, I want to tie all these things together and I don't want to just like pick out bits and pieces. I want to try to go deep on each of these things with someone else who is an expert in this specific area. And I can be a participant in that conversation and share some of my own experiences and expertise as a coach of the last 18 years. So, I mean, for, for me, selfishly, this is as much continuing education as anything else. Um, but you know, also by sharing this wide, just putting good information out into the world and it's really understanding, you know, it's not just about this one workout or this one tip and trick. It's, it's really like this foundation that you've got to build over a long period of time in each of these areas that's most important. And then you can layer everything else on top of that. Yeah. And I guess uh, calling it pillars of performance really implies that you need them all in order to be successful Mm -hmm. as a a runner. Yep. And I'm going to give another coach that I really admire credit for this. And his name is Stu McMillan. And he is one of the top sprint coaches in the world. He runs a company called Altus out of Atlanta. He and I have corresponded over email a few times over the last couple of years, I am going to get him on the podcast separate from this just to Mm -hmm. talk about his career, which is fascinating and some of this stuff in, in more detail, but in a recent podcast with um, previous podcast guests on, on this show, Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus on the growth equation podcast, he was talking about this, this system of performance. And, you know, it's very similar to where I've landed with these pillars of performance. And he just gave it a language that, that I didn't have. And, and my pillars differ a little from his system, but they're pretty close in terms of like training, you know, the mental side of the sport, nutrition. Um, and his other one was, I think, therapy uh, specifically, if I'm, if I'm getting that right, or maybe it was recovery. And, and his whole philosophy was, look, you're never going to be like a 10 out of 10 in all of these or, or hit mm-hmm. like an A plus in, in all of these. But if you're like seven or eight out of 10 in most of them, you're going to be pretty great at what you do. It doesn't mean you're going to be like world-class, but if you can, if you can be like seven out of 10 in all four of these or eight out of 10 in all four of these, like you're going to be pretty good. But if you're like 10 out of 10 on one and you're like one out of 10 on the other, the thing's going to collapse. And that's where I came up with the name pillars um, because each of them are essential to holding all of this up. And that's what I want to get into with each of these guests. And the first episode that we're going to lead off with here today, Coach Mark Coogan, who is a previous guest on the podcast. I can't remember off the top of my head what number episode that was, but look it up. I'll link to it in the show notes. You can hear all about Mark and his career and how he was an Olympian sub four minute miler, uh, but is now one of the top coaches in the world with New Balance Boston. He put two Olympians on the U.S. team in Tokyo, Ellie Purrier, St. Pierre, and Heather McLean. And Mark and I have known each other a long time. We're both from the Massachusetts area. He was teammates with one of my former coaches, Kevin Curtin, uh, at Nike Boston way back in the day. We have a very similar training philosophy and outlook on how all of this uh, should should work or what's important, you know, <laughs> right, really right, like right. distilling it down to the essential elements here. And we talked about that in this conversation and, you know, it fits in perfectly with this idea of pillars of performance and, you know, trying to be just consistently good across all of these things. And Mark 
in our last conversation talked about the importance of B plus workouts. And that whole philosophy was a hit again, another situation where he kind of put words to something that I had observed and believed, but couldn't really articulate. And, you know, that's really the foundation of what he believes as a coach is just being consistently good enough over a long period of time. So we talked about that in this conversation, gave it a little more color commentary, but we got into like so much more stuff and it was just a lot of fun for me to geek out with someone who I respect and admire fellow coach. And really, I mean, our goal is just to put good information out into the world. Mark's got a book uh, that just, came out very recently. It is called Personal Best Running, Coach Coogan Strategies from the Mile to the Marathon. We talked a little bit about that in this conversation because really, I mean, this is his first book. And even though he's been on a couple podcasts and he's been quoted in articles, I mean, this is kind of his you know, dissertation uh, yeah. on training, everything that he's learned as an athlete and a coach and what he does with his athletes. And like one thing we talked about in this conversation was how what his pros are doing you know, when you really distill it down, isn't much different from what age group athletes should be doing. And yes, they might be running a little bit more mileage. Yes, they might have a few more resources at their disposal, but you know, how they structure their season, the type of workouts that they're doing um, are very, very similar to what the rest of us do. The paces look a lot different, obviously. The stakes Mm -hmm. are a lot higher, but the way that he's thinking about training and, you know, the way that he's structuring a season, a block, a season, an entire year. I mean, it's not dissimilar to, you know, how I'm doing it with many of the age group athletes that, that I work with. Yeah. I mean, I thought the conversation was really enlightening on that point where it's, you know, you guys are talking about what the pros do, what elites do, but building in flexibility, just like you would anywhere else, making sure, you know, if you're not going to be fresh for your track workout, put it off a day so you mm-hmm. get the maximum benefit out of it. And you were talking about how that's been a, a, you know, room for growth for you where years ago you would have just hit that workout. We're not even thinking about mm-hmm. it, but now that you're more mature and sort of understand how it works better, like you, you can just be, um, you know, more nuanced about around your own training. Yeah. You realize that it's not an exact equation. Like there, there is wiggle room in there to bump a workout back a day, um, you know, to do a few more intervals, to do a few less, to, you know, maybe change things altogether sometimes. Like it doesn't always have to be perfect. And one of the things that we talked about in this conversation that I think anyone listening to this can relate to is just getting the effort right. I think especially in today's world, we become so numbers driven and every week there's a new like data gathering gadget. I mean, we've got GPS watches, we've got pedometers, we've got heart rate monitors, we've got power meters. Now you can measure vertical oscillation like this. I mean, I mean, you, you can drive yourself batty with all the data and, you know, Mark's kind of old school. Um, he said, says, you know, all my athletes run with GPS watches. He's like, but we focus on the right effort. He's like, we might be out on the Charles river doing a tempo run and it's windy as all get out. And, you know, typically tempo pace is five thirty, and I'll tell them, Hey, this has got to be five thirty effort. That might mean you run five forty fives today, but don't mm-hmm. worry about it. Like just focus on the effort. And I mean, this is a battle that I fight like constantly with a lot of the age group runners that I work with. They're like, okay, you know, I want to run, um, let's just call it a sub three hour marathon. So that's sub six fifty two per mile. We're going to do marathon pace workout. You know, we're doing it six forty five pace. Uh, cause that's the pace that, you know, you're hoping to run on race day and, you know, they're tired from a busy work week. Their kid was sick. So they were up till two o'clock in the morning and then they go outside, they're running in a headwind the entire way. And they're like, what the hell I'm running? Like, 
I can't even break seven minutes per mile. And it's like, just focus on right. the effort, the, the exactness effort. We talked about this in the conversation, not to give it all away effort over exactness um, or exactitude, I think is the word that we ended up calling it. It's like, you really got to focus on that. And it's just about, you know, being consistent, showing up every day, putting in the work and just not overanalyzing the crap out of every single run that you do. Yeah, and probably something you should apply to the rest of your life, not just running. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, a lot of this stuff uh, does extrapolate. And I yeah. think if we're doing our job as, as coaches, a lot of the lessons that we're trying to instill on our athletes um, will apply to other areas of their life. For sure. Running is a metaphor. But before we get to this interview, which was really incredible and we know everyone's going to enjoy it, should we shout out the sponsors? Yes. Let's shout out the sponsor for this episode of the podcast, my longtime partners at Tracksmith. Um, those of you who have been following the morning shakeout for a while now, or just you know paying attention to what I've been doing, you are familiar with this brand. It is a Boston-based running brand. Um, they make apparel, but they are really a running brand. They put on events, they create experiences uh, that really celebrate the culture of the sport that we all love. And you know what? One of the things that I love about Tracksmith is just the quality that goes into everything that they do, whether it's an event or experience, um, whether it is a, a piece of apparel, everything is just like very, very well thought out. And they just recently released their spring collection, which you can check out on tracksmith.com slash Mario. Um, and there's some great updates to classic pieces in there that you can add to your spring wardrobe. My personal favorite right now is the Alston half tight. I've got like four pairs of them. <laughs> they come in a lined and unlined version. I mean, this is everything that you could ever want in a running half tight. Uh, they look great. They fit amazing. They have a lined and unlined version. I mean, I'm personally a fan of the lined version. It just, you know, it's everything wrapped in, into to one package. Um, so you don't have to worry about like whether or not you forgot your running underwear or whether or not you should run with underwear or not. Um, but either way, like this half tight, it's got, you know, these little like grippies down by the knee so they don't slide up your leg when you're running. I love them for my fast days, but they're also my, my go-to racing bottoms, whether I'm racing a mile and I wore them for the indoor mile at the New Balance Indoor Grand Prix um, just a month or so back. But I also wore them for a half marathon this past weekend because they've got three pockets in the back, kind of one on each side and then a zippered one in the middle. So you can, you know, put car key or credit card um, in the secure space, but you can really just, you know, especially for longer distance stuff, stuff gels into the other pockets and then they're easy mm -hmm. to grab, you know, while you're on the run. Um, they're very secure. So nothing's going to fall out of there. And I mean, for a lot of folks who are racing longer as I am this spring with the Boston marathon, having the pockets to carry your own fuel and nutrition or maybe hotel room key, whatever it happens to be. Um, it's not as easy as you would think to find yeah. in, in running it's shorts true. and bottoms. And these are it's like true. by far just the best bottoms that I've ever worn. They're super versatile. They look great. They're crazy comfortable. Um, so I can't recommend them enough. And, you know, for anyone listening to this who, you know, wants to get something from Tracksmith, whether you're a new customer or you've like bought a bunch of stuff from them before, uh, if you go to tracksmith.com slash Mario, um, you know, that should apply, I think a code automatically, or when you check out, you can use the code Mario give. So that's M A R I O. And then in all caps, give G I V E. And that will get you free shipping on your order, but it will also send 5% of your purchase. You don't have to do anything 
to a cause that is near and dear to me, and that's the Friendly House in Worcester, Massachusetts. It's where I spent most of my youth. It's done a lot for the community in that area, mostly through sport, but other community activities as well. I mean, that's where, you know, I fell in love with basketball. You know, I would go for after school programs, summer camp. Uh, it's right in the middle of the city. I mean, they've just done a lot for disadvantaged youth in that area for, for decades now, and they're still doing it today. So it, it just really means a lot to me that 5% of every purchase through tracksmith.com slash Mario or that code Mario give G I V E all caps goes to the friendly house and is really just going to help them continue doing what they've been doing for decades now. I love it. I love it. Should we get on with this conversation? Yes, we totally should, because I told you we were going to keep the intro tight, and we already went longer than I thought. But, I mean, hopefully by listening to it, you just get an idea of how excited I am, not only for this episode, but for this Pillars of Performance series that's going to be rolling out over the next month or so. And with that, here is me and Coach Mark Coogan. Well, Mark, congratulations on the launch of your first book, Personal Best Running, Coach Coogan's Strategies for the Mile to the Marathon. I loved it. I mean, and I'm someone who's read probably every running book um, of substance that's ever been published. And honestly, God, I mean, it's the first one to me that as I was reading through it, I was like, Yep. This is everything that I know to be true about running condensed into one volume and presented in such a way that is just very approachable and applicable to a wide range of runners. So kudos to you and your your co-author, Scott Douglas, on putting together just a great book. Oh, thank you. It was um, it was kind of like a uh, it was a little bit of a labor of love and it um, it actually got me outside of my comfort zone, you know, like um, when COVID happened. I reconnected with Scott and we worked really hard on this book and it really wouldn't have been possible without Scott. He's, um, he's just a fabulous guy and a, and a great writer. Um, the, the way the, the, the way the book came up about was I was at the gate river run like three years ago, right before COVID started, like a, like a month or so before COVID started. And a, a woman from human kinetics, a publisher at human kinetics reached out and asked me about, possibly writing a training book. And I was talking to her on the phone, you know, at, at the road race. And I was like, I just, I was like, I can't do it. The Olympic trials are coming up. Like I couldn't, I didn't think I could handle deadlines and the pressure of trying to do something that I knew was going to be hard for me. And, um, she's like, okay, well you can think about it. And then she got back in touch with me a few weeks later. She's like, you know, you can have someone else help write this with you. And Scott was the first person that popped to my mind because we've been friends since college. And I know he wrote books with Pete Fitzinger and Mad Kapleski and, you know, a few other people. So um, I reached out to Scott and he thought it would be fun. And he only lives about an hour, hour and a half away from me. So um, we started working on it and this is what we came up with. And yeah. it, I think it came out pretty good too. Yeah. So it's like a three-year process of putting this all together. Yeah. Yeah. And like, we didn't really like once the Olympic trials got canceled that first, the first year, that's when we really sat down and like, you know, really got going because you can't just watch TV every night, you know, all the time. Like I don't mind watching TV, but too much is not a good thing. I think so. Okay. I got, I got to get all my ideas down on paper. I got to get a lot of really good training written down, 
and you know I wrote a lot of good training, typed it all up and everything. And Scott was the Scott came up with the idea of having the the book sound like it's in my words, like everything's in my words. He tried to what the stuff that he wrote, he was trying to make it sound as much like me as if I was just talking, you know, conversationally to somebody. And yeah. um, I think we I think we got it half pretty good, you know. I mean, I don't know you that well, but reading through it, I mean, it feels like it comes across in in your voice. I mean, just yeah. a lot of the language that you use and just the the cadence of it and and the tone. I'm like, yeah, I I could picture myself just being a fly on the wall at a New Balance Boston practice, and this is exactly yeah. how Coogs is talking to his athletes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and yeah, that's, and I, I think yeah, it, it shows that, and that's I mean, that's Scott's great writing, you know, like he. It's all like one of the things we did, you know, I wrote all the training down and everything, but I, um, all we had, we would have our, hour long conversations a few days a week, we'd attack the mile one day and I'd send my ideas about the mile to him. And then he'd call me up and he'd talk about what I wrote and, and then he would get it looking really nice and professional. And so, um, a lot of, a, a lot of the credit really has to go to Scott. It's all my ideas and everything, but a lot of the, you know, he's a good writer too. You're best known now as a, a coach of, of elite athletes. I mean, New Balance Boston is your team. I mean, you had two Olympians on the last team and Ellie St. Pierre and Heather McLean. Um, you know, Ellie's a, a world medalist herself, American record holder. Yeah. Before that, I mean, you coached collegiately at Dartmouth. You had Abby DiGostino Cooper. Um, you were at, I think, MIT and Tufts yeah. for a little while. Yeah before that. So when you sit down with Scott to write this book, who did you have in mind as the reader? Um, uh, serious runners. Um, you don't have to be like a world-class runner, but it's someone that, you know, it wants to run the Boston marathon and be, you know, do well at it. Um, not so much the person that just wants to finish the race. Like we were trying to, you know, people that if they're going to go do a 10 K, they're actually going to run, you know, six days a week and get in shape for a 10 K. So I would say, you know, it's from your above average runner to an elite level of runner, you know, maybe not world-class cause we didn't really get into doubles and things like that or double thresholds or altitude training, but, um, but legitimately have Ellie's training in there, Heather's training in there, other people on, New Balance Boston's training is in the book and in the schedules for sure. Yeah. How much of it is really different though at that world-class level? I mean, obviously for these athletes, it's their job. It's how they make their living. There's a little more pressure involved, but when we're talking about just what it takes to get faster and build that base and be, be good. I mean, you know, you don't really work with that level of, of age group athlete. I do. Yeah, but yeah. it's but it doesn't seem that different to me. Yeah, not a ton. Yeah, yeah. I think you're spot on. I mean, not a ton. No, not a ton. I think it's a little bit, maybe a, a little bit more volume and getting out for second runs. Um, I think I think anyone that wants to train for Boston or that's qualified for Boston or you know, like you have to take it seriously. Like, yeah. you can't run a three hour marathon or even a three hour and 30 minute marathon without training very hard <laughs> and getting your long runs in and doing some good sessions and being strong aerobically. Like you have to do all those things to, you know, run under three thirty for sure. Or under 36 minutes for a 10 K or 18 minutes for a five K or something. So, yeah. So, I mean, the training's not that different. I just think maybe a little bit more volume or, you know, and, you know, your weekly mileage, or maybe you might be doing, 
you know, another mile or two in intervals or something like that, but very similar stuff. Same, you know, we taking the same rest and things like that in the book and stuff like that. Yeah. As I looked at the schedules, I mean, you had like Ellie's schedule in there, you had Heather's schedule in there, and then there's training schedules in the back. And, and I'm looking at them like nothing in here catches me by surprise. I'm like, this is just like good, solid, mm-hmm. consistent, but not crazy work. And I mean, the biggest difference is going to be some of those numbers. The mileage totals are like, okay, you know, Ellie and Heather are running 400 meter reps in, you know, 62, 64 seconds, and maybe the right. age the age group is going to be like in the seventies, eighties, or even nineties, you know, whatever right. it happens to be, you know, for them, but it's like the, the underlying principles and foundation are exactly the same. For, for sure. A hundred percent. And I'm, I'm a big guy about consistency, you know, like I think, you know, in, in the book, when, when you read the book, you'll look at the book, you'll see that I think it's like, I'm, I'm into like the B plus workouts, the A plus races. So I'd rather see someone on my team or anyone in this training for something, you know, do 10 or 12, good solid workouts you know not two great ones and then they're too sore to do another one or they get run down and they can't do a third workout i want to see i like to see like 10 or 12 really good workouts in a row and then rest for a week and then go in and see what you can do because you just become you know you become really strong aerobically and i think you know like i've been this has kind of been my philosophy for the last you know five or six years seven years i don't know i'm not sure even when i was training but but now it seems to be taking off and, you know, in, in the running world now with, you know, you're seeing like a lot more threshold type stuff, like the Ingebrigtsen's, you know, the double thresholds. Um, and like, they're really in vogue now, but that's kind of been what I've been doing since, you know, the nineties with Arturo Barrios or John Tracy, or even getting out with runs fartless with Billy Rogers or something back in the day. So I think, the superstars back in the day, they had it right, you know? And now I think now maybe with like the super shoes and um, <clears throat> better, I think we, we do better with like diet and rest and, and nutrition now than we did in the seventies, eighties, nineties. I think we, all those things adding together, you know, are leading up to these super fast times now. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on. I mean, I think there's been a lot of advancements in the footwear, in the nutrition, I mean, both day to day recovery, you know, even in the marathon, like during the race, you know, that sort of thing. I had just written about an article that Alex Hutchinson wrote about double threshold training and lactate monitoring uh, for outside. And he had this great line there. He said, the wheel keeps getting reinvented, but it's still a wheel. And his point being like, you know, all of this training, yeah. he's like, what's, he's like, you know, everything old is new again. And he's like, all of this stuff, um, if you all, go yeah. all the way back to the days of like Igloy um, and just some of the legends of, of coaching, yeah. they were elements of, you know, what the Ingerbritsons are doing or what the Norwegian triathletes are totally. doing um, back in the 70s, 80s and 90s. Yeah. And I think like, like even like when I was running, like I kind of, I did it by mistake a little bit. Like I was, you know, I was, I was, um, when I got back out of college, I moved back home and I was training with you guys in Providence and I would work out with them in the morning and then I'd have a job in the afternoon. Like I was just working at a local running store and I was trying to get my second run in, but I was always waiting to the last minute to get the run in. So instead of running seven minute pace, I was probably running you know, 5.30 pace or 5.15 pace to get my four-mile run in so I could be at work by 4 o'clock. So I was doing, like, like simple, you know, double thresholds back in the 90s just by accident because yeah. I was I was trying to wait as long as I could between runs but still be at work on time and things like that. 
So I, I don't know, like, like, you know, Dave Martin told me one time, like good coaches, what they do, the science follows it. And it's kind of like your idea, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel, you know? Yeah. I want to get into the five principles that you outline in the book, but before we get there, like, let's just go back into your influences. And you've talked about a few of them already in this conversation, but you mentioned a few of them in the book too. And I think this is, you know, why for me, the book really resonated because we have a a lot of, I don't know, parallels or intersections. I, I think back to when you were, um, a post-collegiate for the first time, you come out of the University of Maryland, you start training with Nike Boston and Bob Sevene. And one of my coaches out of college was Kevin Curtin, who was also a part of Nike Boston and eventually took over that group from Sev when he moved out to California. And that's where I learned a lot of what I believe about training to this day. And, and clearly from what you've written in the book, like you have as well. So talk about like those initial years out of school training under seven, just some of the biggest things that you learned that helped you improve as an athlete, but now really influence you as a coach. Yeah. I mean, Sev was, Sev was, I think Sev was way ahead of his time. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah. I mean, we know he coached Joe and he was with athletics West and he did a lot of, you know, coached a lot of, you know, world-class athletes. But when, um, when, I, when I was in college, we seemed to do like when we did intervals, we ran hard all the time. And, and when I got to Sev, um, we would do six miles of work or 10 K of work, but it would be like, it wouldn't be that hard. Like I, I was surprised I was keeping up with like Dan Dillon or I'm trying to think who else was there. Joe Roca, you know, even like Kevin Curtin, Kevin was a sub four minute miler back in those days. Like we'd, we'd all be on the track to be like 10 or 15 of us on the track. And I would find it like, this isn't that hard. I kept saying to myself, this isn't that hard. How do these guys run so fast? And, and Seb would always say, you know, we're just working on your engine. You're going to be an aerobic beast, an aerobic monster. Let's just get you stronger, Mark, you know? And, um, it, we did that all fall in like tempo runs. We would do tempo runs and just long fartlicks and hills. Like we would never go to the track in like in the, in the fall, we wouldn't go to the track until the new year every year. And, um, it just, and, you, and, and when you're, I think it, when you're running like that too, you don't really get injured that often. So, cause you're not like, you're not, you're not like, you're not just going all out. So you're not getting this crazy muscle damage all the time where your ligaments and tendons aren't yanking. Mm-hmm. And like the next day you're not totally dead. And, um, so I learned, like, I didn't have to smash myself all the time, you know, under Sav, which was big. And then the guys in Providence were doing the same thing. John Tracy, John Rigor, John Doherty, Richard O'Flynn, Andy Ronan. There were just so many really good runners, you know, Ray Tracy. Um, there were so many Charlie Brady. There were so many good runners, you know, out of Providence College. And they, they kind of trained the same way. You know, let's do fart licks on the grass. Let's get good long runs in. Let's do tempo runs. You know, let's do a 10-miler in 55 minutes, you know, whatnot. You know, 10 times a mile of 440, stuff like that. So, I don't know. It just kind of, it just sunk in because it worked well for me. Yeah. You actually had a line in the book. It said, I learned more about running in the Providence college locker room than anywhere else. Yeah. What were, what were some of those other lessons aside from what you just described? Well, like, like someone like John Tracy, just knowing he won a couple of world crosses and had an Olympic medal, you know, saying like, well, all I need to do is run, you know, 90 miles a week and, 
get in two good sessions, I don't have to do 140 miles or, you know, I don't have to, um, like, um, just something like that. Or, or like the, the, I think the biggest thing that I learned was I could keep up with them and I could do everything that they were doing, like, and that they put their pants on the same way that I put my pants on or they, you know, they, you know, they would have a, um, John Doherty would show up with a, a coffee and a, chocolate crawler before going out for a 10 mile run and like they, it, they like they became humans to me like i idolized them before i got to know them and as they became you know just humans and friends and um like you know p- people that would look out for me or i would look out for them um i, I just started to have their mindset and races that i belonged and they like they knew when they went to a race they were going to belong and they they kind of brought me along to that showed me that I belonged in those races too. Cause I did, I was okay in college, but I wasn't a superstar. Not, not at all, you know? So like, I really took off when I started running with those guys almost every day. Yeah. I, I think this is super important for people to hear no matter what level they're at. I mean, obviously you went on to, you know, become an Olympian and world-class runner, but even for age group runners listening to this, I think when they join a running club, they just want to belong. And I think oftentimes too, they go to some of those workouts or they go to the track to run their intervals. And, you know, you can understand why they think this way, but they're like, I just have to hammer myself. Like I have to work harder. And I think that's an, an all too common mentality and it gets people into trouble. I mean, I know, I know myself when I was your age and I came out of school, I had that mentality too, because I was a division two runner. I was all American D2. I wanted to be at that next level. And I was like, I just got to run more and I got to run harder. And I mean, I, long story short, I ran myself into the ground and learned my lessons the hard way. And it was really, you know, one of the the biggest ones for me that was eye opening was um, my first year out of school, I actually went out to California for the first time from Massachusetts to visit my friend Ryan Bach, who is training with Sev in Monterey. And Kevin told him I was coming for the week. He let me come to two practices, the workout. It, it was great. And I remember like watching these guys on the track and they were all, you know, right around four minute milers. They ended up running like, you know, 13 mids for 5,000 and I'm like a 1430 guy. So I'm watching these guys and I'm like, yeah, they're just going to crush me and run me into the ground. And like, obviously their intervals were a lot faster because they were just fitter, but I'm like, wow, we're running like seven minute miles on our recovery days. And, and to me, I was like, this is too slow. Like we're wasting our time. I mean, 22 year old know it all. Right. And it's like, it wasn't until years later where I was like, Oh yeah, I get what they were doing. And (laughs) it's like, this is how they were able to just keep that consistency train going and just get in that work like week after week where, you know, I'm the idiot who ends up with like stress fractures and is hurt because he just feels like he's got to, you know, run himself into the ground every time he goes to the track. And I think a lot of people like listening to this, I see it with the age group runners I coach now, the biggest thing I do I'm like, let's dial it back a little bit, get in a few more reps. Let's keep this ball rolling. But they come to the track and they're like, I'm going to get everything out of myself for this next, you know, this next hour. And it's like, no, we, we actually want to finish the workout feeling like we could do another couple reps if we had to, uh, that's success. Yeah. Yeah. And you might want to come back. If this is on a Tuesday, you might want to come back on Friday with another session and do a long run on Sunday. So like if you're, if you're smashing yourself on a Tuesday, you you're going to be tired on Friday still. And I think, I think in the book, like I got, that's one thing that I learned when I was coaching at Dartmouth. Cause I was always kind of like this Tuesday, Friday, long run Sunday mentality. And when, once, when the, the women at Dartmouth started running really well, 
they could race really, really hard. And I think we tried to explain this in the book. Like Abby could run so hard in a race on Saturday. She couldn't do a long run on Sunday or go hard on Tuesday because she was so beat up, like, because she could really get everything out of her body. And once I learned that, we just need to skip that long run in that first workout of the week and just go on Friday. She recovered. She improved as a runner. And it, it was like, it was like a, it was like a big awakening for me, you know? And then like some of the other kids on the Dartmouth team that couldn't dig down as well as the, um, the, the better kids on the team, like they were, they could go again on Tuesday. And so, so we, we had to like figure it out, you know, like I had to figure out who can go hard, you know, after a race or who needs to take a longer break because they can really run tough in, in an event. Yeah. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons that comes across in the book, because thinking about many of the age group athletes who are listening to this or high school coaches, I mean, they get stuck in that weekly routine of Tuesday track workout, Thursday or Friday tempo, Saturday or Sunday long run. And we're going to do that week in, week out, come hell or high water. And it's like, it's like actually some weeks that might work, but there are going to be other times like you just described where it's like you got to be adaptable and you've got to be able to to scale things back. And like you said, like just even if you got to slow things down for a little bit, keep that momentum going. And that's what's going to allow you to stay healthy and get in the consistent training that leads to successful race results. Yeah, definitely. And like I think people that some like older runners, you know, people that are in their 40s or even 50s or late 30s that have been doing it for a long time you have all this like money in the bank, right? So like you don't, I don't really think you need to smash yourself all the time. You can still like remember what it feels like, dig back on those reserves and, and show it in a race. I, I sat in on this zoom call last week um, with Randy Wilbur. He was at the USOC and he was talking about um, Michael Phelps training for Rio and he was kind of getting old and he wasn't supposed to win a ton of medals in Rio and he showed us all his training and how he wasn't training as hard as he did, you know, the, the previous Olympics. And, and, but he knew that he still had all that background from the back in the days when he was doing it. And he was still very successful. He, so he kind of just had to like outsmart the competition, not um, kill himself in, in training. You know, he had, he had his pick and choose when he was going to go really hard and he had to rest a little bit more. And I think maybe as you get older, maybe you do need another, an extra rest day thrown in during the week. Or if you're a very good racer, maybe you need an extra rest day thrown in after a competition. Yeah. I think that's a huge takeaway, especially for the older athletes because you nailed it it's like money in the bank and you can really continue to draw that out years later but you don't have to draw as much out to get the same response that you're looking for and i mean i i'm like a, a living walking example of this right now in in my 40s having run you know hard and competitively for for 25 years and like knock on wood i've wisened up a little bit and did this just like two weeks ago where i did a big long run you know, it was 20 miles with like close to 10 miles worth of work in it. And that was on a Sunday. And instead of doing my normal when, like I was still feeling beat up on Wednesday and I was like, all right, I'm going to push this back like one more day. And it made a huge, it made all the difference. I know that if I had done that on Wednesday and five years ago, 10 years ago, I definitely would have just like done it on Wednesday, no matter what. And probably gone into that next weekend feeling beat up. I actually felt refreshed. I had a good workout and I came out of it better. Um, and I just think like more older runners, especially like need to hear that. It's like, Hey, you know, you don't have to train like you did when you were 20, nor should you, especially if you've been doing it for a long time. Right. Totally. I totally agree with you on that. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. 
Um, last bit about just your influences. Another big part of like your career was the time that you spent in Boulder. And this is the other part that really resonated with me and not because I spent any real time in Boulder around these people, but like my, one of my other favorite books is running with the legends by Michael Sandrock. And he, Sandrock, like, Dr. Al- yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just uh, another, like just underappreciated legend of, of running as a, as a journalist and great athlete in his own right. But this book was very formative for me because it profiled all these different runners. And, um, Arturo Barrios was one of them. Um, another one was, uh, Frank Shorter, who was in Boulder by prior to your time, but was still there. Yeah. De Costella, you know, who's a, who's a world record holder. And like, you wrote a little bit about this in in the book about just like some of those influences and things that you learned from them out there. And I'd love for you in this conversation just to go into that a little bit deeper and how that like kind of solidified what you had learned in, in Boston and Providence around, you know, those folks that you were training with, but also like how it just helped to move you forward in your own career. Yeah. So like, so when, when we moved out to Boulder, I mean, I, I knew all these people were in, in name and how fast they were, but I wasn't friendly with any of them. And when we, when we get out there, um, the elite running community in Boulder was so welcoming, welcoming. <laughs> they just let me in and they like went in too. And, and I, I, it's always impressed me. And like, I, I try to do the same thing now. Like they, they, like, if someone wants to come to my practice, I'm always like, come to practice. Cause they were just like, yeah, we're going to do a long run tomorrow at the res at 9am, you know, come on out and go out and meet them and do a 20 mile run with Jonesy and uh, Arturo and Deeks there and Mark Platches and Don Janicki. And like, um, and they were just, they were just nice guys and they like, they knew they were good runners. So they had nothing to prove. And they, they were happy to help a young kid try to, um, it get better, you know? And, um, like they like always opened their house up to me. Like, you know, I stayed with them when we first got out there, it's, you know, stayed with a running family when we first got out there, which was set up by these guys. And, um, like, like, you know, like if they were going to, if someone's going to go for a run, like Mark Platches would call me or, or I would call him or Arturo, you know, like Arturo would show me his training and say, you know, Mark, you need to start doing more strides. Like I wasn't doing strides every day until I moved to Boulder and Arturo would do 10 strides, 10 by hundred meters after every run, you know, he would do 20 strides a day. And I, he got me doing starting, he got me doing strides every day. And I became a big advocate of strides because, um, I feel like they let me touch on speed without beating me up at the end of a run. They seem to loosen me up a little bit. Feel like you know, like I strengthened my legs a little bit doing them, um, so, and so I. So like my team, we do them now, like you know, four or five days a week, also, and um, just like little things like that that they shared. Um, when I would go to Europe and run on the track races, like Arturo would say, "Just stay with me," you know, because I, I, like he knew like my budget wasn't as good as his budget. He had the world record for the ten, you know, or he had one race director he set it up so I could pace him in the 5k. And so I would make, made a little bit of money, just like really nice things like that. And now that I'm, now that I'm a coach or, or, you know, later in my running career, I, I just wanted to treat people the same way that I was treated. I feel like I got treated really well by um, other coaches and all the professional runners. And I think in general, the running community is like that anyhow, you know, very welcoming and, you know, caring, but I, it's the, it's a, it's part of, it's like part of my makeup now. Like I really want to make sure I do that. I try not to alienate anyone. 
Yeah. I, and that's one of the things like I respect most about you is that you are that welcoming person. I mean, even if your team's in Flagstaff, you know, doing altitude training, it's like, there are obviously a lot of other people there too. And you're like, Hey, we're doing this. You're doing something that's close enough. Like hop on in, like we can help each other out. And then just like the other big takeaway there. And I mean, you're doing this through your book now and other stuff, um, that you share, especially as excerpts of it get out, but it's just the sharing of information. It's like these guys, many of whom were your competitors in a lot of ways, were just open books about, hey, here's here's what I'm doing. Here's what it takes to be good. Why don't you join me? And I think especially now, especially with the proliferation of digital media and how easy it is to share this information, it's like, look, you want to be good. There aren't any secrets. I mean, everyone's going to have their own you know, style or recipe and like do a little a little bit different than the next person, but it's like what, what it takes to succeed from, you know, let's call it the mile to the marathon. That's what this book outlines. It's like, it's, there's more similarities than there are differences. It's not rocket science. No, it's not rocket science at all. And like, that's like, I should have said this when we were talking about Boulder a minute ago. It's like, like everybody, like everybody had their own coach or they were coaching themselves out there. It wasn't one coach for, you know, for 10 or 15 people that would show up at a workout, but people would go down there with different ideas in their heads, you know, like they were all distance runners. So they all wanted to get some volume in, but like, you know, like Jonesy might want to do six by a mile and Platches might've wanted to do 10 by a K and someone else wanted to do something. And we would just meet in the middle, you know, it was just like, all right, let's do, you know, 1200s or something, you know? So everybody would just meet in the middle and we still get six miles of work in or whatever you're trying to get in. But um, then everybody could take turns, take the edge off on one of their, one of the intervals and it, it just it seemed to work really, really well, you know, cause like what, what is the difference between, you know, six times a mile or five by two K or, you know, eight by 1200. I mean, it's not really that much difference really. You're right? split, you're <laughs> splitting hairs at that point. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So like, why should everybody just be, you know, doing it by themselves when you can maybe go a little bit faster in a group, but not be working as hard. And so you're going to gain some fitness that way. So, yeah. To dive into the book um, specifically, the foundation, which I mean, really the whole thing is built on is your five principles that are outlined from the get go. And I'd like to just go through all of them with you and, and articulate them a, a little bit more because I think they're very instructive and everything else that falls from like the training plans or the strength training, um, it's just all stems off of stems off of that. So the first one is, you know, be an aerobic monster. And I love the example that you give because I think it's it's really instructive. And this this applies to anyone whether you're trying to break a, a five minute mile or an eight minute mile or you're running a you know sub two thirty marathon or sub three thirty marathon. It's like you can probably run that pace for a quarter of the distance or a half of the distance. And as it, as it gets longer, it gets harder to, you know, to maintain that. And, you know, you outline it so well, it's like, all right, you, you can run that pace. You just can't run it for as long as you would like. And this is what it means to become an, an aerobic monster. So I'd love for you to just like dive into that a little bit more for me and explain what you mean by it. So I think, I think my example in the book is, I think I used the, maybe Dartmouth, for example, like in the, in the mile, uh, it's a, it was a big deal. It's a big deal for a lot of people to break five minutes in the mile. And um, everybody on my team could run a 75 second quarter, you know, and I think everybody could run, um, you know, another 75, so a 230, 800. 
But then like a 345.12 is getting a little bit hard for some of them. Less than, yeah, and then throwing another one, another 75 on there for five minutes, a lot of them couldn't do it. I mean, before I got to Dartmouth, none of the women could break five minutes in a mile. And, and, and it was just, they were kind of all over the place. And so, so I, did, I used that example. I was like, let's, let's get strong enough so that we can um, do that without a problem. And let's be an aerobic monster. And I have a kid on my team now. He ran 359 for the mile on um, Sunday at BU. It was the first time he broke four minutes. And he's like, boy, we have the same, almost the same example. He's like, God, if I was a little bit faster. I was like, a little bit faster. He's like, you can run 50 seconds for a 400. Like, don't tell me you need to be faster. Like, how about be a little bit stronger? You know, like, let's get, you know, let's get a, bit, a little bit more aerobic strength so you can run 60, 60, 60, 55 instead of 60, 60, 60, 59, or let's run four 59s in a row. So you're a 356 guy. And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right, coach. You know, but, um, so I, so that would, that's kind of my idea about being an aerobic monster. Like if, if you can't, you, you get, you get the best, best kick in the world, but if you can't hang in there in a race, like you're not even gonna be able to use it. You know, I think that's the key to everything. Even like, even like, you know, a, a 5k, if you want to break 15 minutes for a 5k, it's 72 second, 400s. Like a lot of people can run a 72 second, 400, or they can do a three minute kilometer. But like sticking five of them without a break, it starts to get a little bit difficult, you know. So, um, so like you got to you got to figure out how you can knock out seventy twos without it killing you to break fifteen minutes for a five. And so that's just like just another example of like trying to be an aerobic monster. Let's let's figure out how to do seventy twos, you know, very comfortably. Yeah, that one really spoke to me. My college coach, Karen Bowen at Stonehill College, she used to say to me all the time, from strength comes speed. And I mean, I ran a I ran a 409 mile and it was just, you know, she's like, you just got to run 62s. That's what you got to do. Just just 62s. And it's like, yeah, that that's fast. But she's like, I know you can do it. And I mean, in practice, we never touched anything faster than like three or 5k pace aside from strides. And I was like, oh, I get it now. You know, I, I really, I really get it. Yeah. Karen gets it. I mean, I know Karen, she gets it. She understands. I know Karen. So she's, she's a good coach. Yeah. I mean, great coach. And, you know, probably aside from my parents, the most formative figure in in my own life in a lot of ways, but I, I think people need to hear this because I do think, um, people miss, construe strength and speed. And I think you spelled it out really well. I mean, and just thinking about a lot of the age group athletes listening to this and, you know, moving it on up to the marathon, let's say like a three thirty marathon, which is eight minutes per mile. I mean, pretty much all the people I know who tell me they want to break three thirty for the marathon can run eight minutes per mile for some period of of time. And then they're like, well, I just need, I need to run, I need to do more speed work and run faster. And it's like, well, yeah, we need to do that. And like probably the right doses, we just need to extend your ability to run, you know, eight minutes per mile. And that's not speed. I mean, that's just developing the the strength necessary to maintain it for longer. Exactly. I think another example we used in the book was like, after like, like all the college kids after the fall season, they a lot of them come to Boston and try to get their indoor qualifier like the first weekend December. So like NCAA cross is like the end of November. And then they'll come to they'll come to Boston the first weekend in December and, and run like a five K. So they've been doing all this strength workout, you know, mile repeats on golf courses and grass and hills and haven't touched the track all fall, you know, running eight Ks and ten K cross. 
And then they, they come to BU, you know, then they jog, go home for Thanksgiving, jog for a week and come run this 5K at BU or 3K. And they all PR and they all run really well. And they're always like, wait till I start doing speed work. I haven't even been on a track and I got my PR. And then, and then when they come back in February, like, or, you know, to BU and, you know, I'm running the 5K or 3K again, they're running slower because they, you know, they lost all their strength from, you know, not doing their long runs or their, you know, longer intervals. They've been like starting to do like, shorter faster stuff and they can't make they don't have the strength to hang in there anymore and, and i see it all the time like it's crazy yeah i i don't want to keep hammering on this one because we got four more to get to in the time that we have left but the last thing I'll, I'll say to that is is it could that couldn't be more true and it's like you start doing the speed work you drop the volume you get away from doing that strength and it, it will erode you know over you know over time and you realize the speed work, especially if you're doing middle distance, um, distance stuff like on the track, it beats you up. I mean, it just really like takes a big toll on your body and people have a hard time recovering from that where the, the strength work, you know, the hills, you know, run it on grass, different types of terrain. Like that's, that's hard work, but it's not as tough on your body and you can definitely bounce back a lot quicker from that right. as well. Yeah, definitely. We like like Heather Heather um, McLean. So she ran three fifty eight fifteen hundred last spring. I mean, we were we were doing tempo runs the whole way through her whole season, like until you know we did a tempo run the week before the Diamond League final over in um, Zurich, and we we just we like, got to keep your strength up. You got to keep your strength up if you're going to run under four minutes for a fifteen. If it's, you know sixty fours, you can run you can run a fifty four. We need four sixty fours. Come on, you know so. Yeah. I, I mean, I I literally have this in front of me as, as we're talking, it's one of her schedules from the book and it was like early 2021. She hadn't run quite that fast yet, but she won an indoor mile race in 427 closing in 30. And I'm looking at her workouts. There's, yeah. There's a couple 400s in there, but it's like four mile tempo run, five, 545, 35, 25, 26, uh, four mile progression run, 550, 535, 545, 30, you know, heartbreak hill repeats, um, 800 meter reps, like much slower than she was, you know, that she was running this. And it's like, she had the wheels at the end to close in yeah. 30 seconds. Like that's a hard last lap, you know? Exactly. So it's, I think it just really exactly. hammers at home. All right. Principle two. Um, we actually talked quite a bit about this the last time I had you on the podcast, but it's the the magic of the B plus workouts. And, and I say workouts because it's never one workout. It's weeks of them um, piled on top of each other. So so the principle in the book is is called 10 weeks of B plus workouts are better than four weeks of A plus workouts. And I don't want to go too deep on this because we talked about it in the last podcast but like very generally i mean you mentioned sev and how when you started training with him you're like oh these workouts aren't as hard as the ones i was doing in college but i'm seeing you know better results and i think when people hear b plus workouts they they think of it as like oh i just didn't execute the workout but what do you mean by b plus workout when you say that no no, I, I just mean like, like, like we we're saying at the beginning of this podcast, you know, you want to, like when you're done with an interval session, you want to feel like you could do one or two more, you know, you don't, I don't, I can remember in college, like I'd run workouts so hard that I'd be sore the next day and then my Achilles would be hurting the next day and I have to take a day off. So like the idea of the B plus is, you know, we're going to, you know, 10 good weeks of workouts, not missing any days unless they're scheduled days off. 
And then when we go to the race and we, you know, rest up properly for the race, like you'll be able to go harder than all these workouts and you'll really show people, you know, what you are. And, it, and, and we have all those B plus workouts, but we also, in my group, and I think everybody else, like sometimes you do have to test yourself, you know, like let's, let's, if you haven't raced in four months, like let's sneak a time trial in here, you know, or let's, let's go a little bit harder on this 3k, you know, you know, or let's like, let's run a hard mile at the beginning of practice, get a little bit tired and then do the session. But, let, but let's, you can't do that stuff all the time. So it's way more, you know, like if, if we do 10 hard workouts on new balance, Boston, maybe two of them are really hard and eight of them are that sev type stuff that I really, really like. Yeah. I mean, as we've talked about already in this podcast, that really jives with my own philosophy. The terminology and languages I use is a little bit different. I use the baseball analogies. I'm like, I want to just keep hitting like singles and doubles over and over and over again. And it's like every once in a while we might hit a home run or a grand slam, but I really want to save those for when it matters the most. If we're getting on base and we're making contact, um, you know, we're, we're going to win a lot of games that way. And I think of training the the same way and, and I mean, just different language, but I think yeah. it means exactly the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Another person once told me, said, if, if you're in really, really good cross country shape, you're always only two weeks away from a PR on the track. So that's like another good way to look at it. <laughs> you're always doing that strength stuff, getting ready for cross country or in cross country shape. Yeah. So. We could do a whole podcast on why I think everyone should run cross country, but we'll save that for yeah. a different day. Um, third principle in in the book is to train and race at a wide variety of paces and distances. And I mean, you did that over the course of your career as an athlete. I mean, you're a sub four minute miler and you're an Olympian in the marathon and raced everything in between. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, running odd distances can, can make you better at the one that you really want to focus on. So if you want to, if you're focusing on a 10 K, I mean, I think running a couple of fives leading into that 10 is probably going to make you, make you run better. Like the 10 K, the five K pace will make the 10 K pace feel easier. Or, you know, like if you, if you're coming down to a 10 K from a marathon or something, you know, maybe you run a half along the way and being out on, you know, being out for 70 minutes or 80 minutes, you know, pushing yourself when you have to go only have to go 36 minutes. Like it's a pretty good confidence booster and it makes you, you know, makes you feel pretty good. And then, I think like for me, like I just enjoyed running different distances. Like if, if you're just strictly running 10 Ks all the time, you know, you kind of get burnt out or you can't do, wait, you can do two marathons a year, three, I don't know, like max, but, but you can run, you can run a few tens, a few fives, a couple of miles, you know, a cross country race or get, you know, from the track to the roads. I just think, you know, it's, it just keeps it exciting. And, you know, it's like the, the different, the different events, um, like it, it just lets you like use other, I don't know what the word is, but like other, like your other strengths that you have, right. Maybe like you never do like get to use your 400 speed, but if you're doing a mile, like, yeah, but you know, the 10 K could be your event. And, um, I just, it takes it fresh and exciting. Um, and I used to run really well, like coming down, like if I trained for a marathon, and, and wasn't injured or had a good marathon and then rested for a couple of weeks and then focused on a different event. I always got PRs. It just, it kind of reinforced like that, how important mileage and being aerobically strong is. But it, um, it, I learned a few lessons, like coming off a marathon, I got PRs at 5k and 10k and things like that. So 
Yeah, I think it's important for all athletes to just get out of their their comfort zone. And to what you just talked about here, it really can benefit you either way. I mean, I, I fight this battle with age group athletes all the time who didn't run in high school or college and really like, you know, got into marathoning. That was their entryway in, into running and they finished the first one. And then we're like, oh, how can I do this? faster, I'll start training, but they still get in that rut of, okay, I'm going to run like, you know, two marathons a year and maybe I'll do a half as a tune-up and they just do the same cycle over and over again. Um, and it's this big goal for them. And, and a big part of my job is convincing them. I'm like, Hey, let's take a cycle off or in the summertime, let's train for 5k and 10k. And they're like, well, that hurts. I'm like, yeah, it does hurt. It hurts. Um, but it's actually going to really help you become a better marathoner because, I think of it as like a toolbox as a runner, you want to have a very like diverse set of tools that you can use at your disposal, no matter what distance you're racing. And I think a, a lot of age group runners, especially who get into the sport late, they've got like one or two tools. And it's like, if I can give you like two or four more, you're going to be so much better. Um, and you're just going to have, you're going to have just so much more, um, you know, room to grow, as, you know, as an athlete. And, and it really just takes them being comfortable with the idea of like dropping their mileage a little bit or getting uncomfortable, you know, on the, on the track and doing some of those harder workouts that mm -hmm. are required to race well yeah. at, at 5k, 10k. Yeah. And like, when you like, like, like you're saying, if you get a marathon or just to focus on a 10 or a five, instead of doing a fall marathon, they're not, gonna, they don't have to go out and do that 20 mile run in the end of August when it's a hundred degrees out. Like they can just go for an hour run and they'll be, they'll be home and have energy for the rest of the day. And like, like just enjoy the Sunday, you know? And, um, so I think it's like that, just that mental, um, escape you know like it's hard to knock out long runs after long runs getting ready for a marathon you know like people like i, I don't know what this sunday is going to be here in massachusetts but if it's snowy or rainy people have got to get long runs and if they're doing boston it's going to be a tough it's a tough weekend coming up for a lot of people i think and if they weren't doing a spring marathon and they were just going to run like a 10k in may they could just go out for an hour run or a 12 mile run or something and have a great sunday so um, so yeah yeah yeah, yeah pick and choose your battles a little bit, but I think it's mentally refreshing to, um, you know, not train for a marathon all the time. hundred percent. I mean, there's a time and a place for all of it. And, you know, I think if an athlete is in a rut, whether they're training and racing the mile and 5k consistently or the, or the marathon, it's like, it's like, look, do something differently. That change in stimulus, aside from like whatever physiological training benefits you'll get, like psychologically, you know, just to challenge yourself in a new way and do something different is probably what you need more than more mileage or faster long runs or whatever we convince ourselves that that's going to help us break through this wall. Exactly. Yeah. It's just like going to the weight room. If you do the same thing in the weight room every time, at some point, you're just going to get stagnant and not improve anymore. You have to change it up. So. Well, fourth principle is get the work in. And I know just from reading the book, that's something you talk about at practice all the time. And I think yeah. it goes hand in hand with, with these B plus workouts that we mentioned a little while ago. And there is a great line in the book. It's like reminding yourself, like we've chosen to do this. Like we enjoy, you know, doing this, we get to do this. So let's just get the work in. And I'd love for you to just expound upon that a little bit more. Yeah. I mean, I, 
like if, if you look like in the book, like Heather's schedules are like early in the book. And if you look at her schedules, like one day it says like eight miles and the next day it says like 50 minutes. So like she is it, like, like we don't like, sometimes we don't know like how far we're going. If it's like crappy out or super hilly or we're in the woods or something. So I'll, I'll say, you know, pretend you're going out for, you know, a nine mile run, you know, like that type of effort. If you're going to run seven minute pace, they'll like, they'll, but that might be eight minute pace, like on a single track road trail in hills or something. And so, um, or like now, like, like we all did temp, not all of us, a few of us did temple runs, um, yesterday. That was kind of crappy out, and, um, cold and they weren't wearing shorts and t-shirts you know it wasn't like a laboratory environment and i was like i just want you to be around 5 30 effort so that might be 5 45 pace today because you got sweats on or whatever you don't have flats on you can just get training shoes on so like like we really we really operate on like effort 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 and um and it, it really pays off because they've really my people that i've coached have really bought into it and they know that um you know, some days a 550 mile is going to be a 620, like when you're out on the roads and it's windy or hilly or something like that. And if they know in their heads, they're actually, their body doesn't know the difference. It's just up in their head that, um, that where, where it's taken, that they have to, you know, wrap their mind around it, that they know they're getting the work in and, um, you know, improving their fitness. And my team is so good at it. Like, I, I, I love it when, like, when we go do a run somewhere, like a temple run. Like, we do a lot of temple runs on the river, on the Charles in Boston. And it's never nice. <laughs> it's like in the winter. It's just never nice. And they're like, all right, let's just try to hit 535 effort like Mark wants, you know. And I'll drive around or bike with them. And, like, I don't even know exactly where the miles are. But I know like they're running that type of effort and um, we could be a little bit more scientific and go off a of heart rate and stuff because we have the ability to do all those, all that type of testing at New Balance where, you know, if their heart beats at 175, you know, that's what they can run at 510 pace or something like that. So like, they'll get their heart rate up to 175 and try to stay around there. We don't have to worry about how fast they're going because they're working at that effort. Yeah. I think it's great for people listening to this to hear that, that one of the best teams in the world is focusing on effort over exactitude. I mean, that's a phrase that I use with my own athletes because a lot of age groupers, they want to buy all the gadgets. And I tell them all the time, like, you're not a programmable robot. We can't just go, okay, 635 pace or, you know, heart rate. 150 or now there's like power meters and all, you know, I mean, you could measure every freaking thing that you want to in the world and they get too heady about it. And then they're just not focusing on the right thing. It's like they're playing to the watch. They're trying to hit the numbers rather than focusing on the effort that they put out. And it's like, look, this, this is not an exact science as much stuff that gets done in the lab and studies that come out. It's like, you could hit all your numbers for 10 weeks. It doesn't guarantee that you're still going to hit that mark that you want on on race day you've got to be in tune with yourself and you've got to get that effort down and if you do that um back to your b plus workouts and you keep the ball rolling you're gonna get what you need out of the training i mean and it's just like it it's not again not rocket science I totally agree people want to make it rocket science yeah i mean i don't know like so many like world-class elite runners that i know they only have a timex like iron man watch they don't wear a gps watch they just they just have their like i have on right now just like a timex and they just like it's easy to work you can't break it you know they're not, they don't get caught up on it and anything they you know they know where they're 
going to run. They know how hard they're going to run. And it, it, it's just time. It's not, they're going off of their effort. So it's, um, I think it's, yeah, I think it's easy to get, get too many gadgets and things, you know, some of them work and if they make you a better runner, then I, I don't want to, you know, put them down or anything like that. But I think sometimes you just got to trust how you feel. Yeah, they're just tools. And, you know, you can't become overly reliant on any any one tool. And I think, you know, really what separates elite athletes from, you know, the the average age group or open runner is just that that confidence that they have in themselves and how in tune they are with their body and how much they trust themselves like during a workout or during a race to be like okay I'm good I'm where I I'm where I need to be you know it's really windy out so you know I'm not going to fight and try to run this pace I'm just going to maintain the effort cuz then I can keep it the whole way you know and I see this with age groupers all the time they're like I'm I'm trying to run 7 minutes a mile and into a 20 mile an hour headwind it's like well you do that it's like you're going to blow up like it's just it's just going to happen it's not the day for it you know and and I think that's really what separates the the elites from the non-elites more than anything else, honestly. Yeah. And you can do simple things like say you were going to go to the track and run 400s. You're going to do eight times 400 and <clears throat> I don't know. I'm just making up a number 60, eight times 460. But it's crazy windy and everything. And there's no way you can run up the back stretch because it's a straight headwind. Well, in my team, I will just say, well, we're going to do eight by 400. You know what we're going to do now? We're going to do 10 by 300. We're not going to run into that headwind. And now you can run 45s to your 300s. And um, you're going to get the same work in, you know, and you can walk away feeling good about yourself instead of like, you know, like we just, I'm just making life easier for them because they wouldn't have been able to run 60s. They would have run 64s or something, you know. But now I just turned it into 300s and they get, they don't have to run into the headwind at all and they can run 45s and feel good about themselves. Yeah. So like little, little things like that you can do too. Yeah. Yeah. I think get the work in. It's a great mantra for, for anyone. And it doesn't just apply to, to workouts. I mean, I had this conversation with someone the other day, they live in Colorado, they got hammered with snow, didn't want to, didn't want to go out and it wasn't a safety thing. It was just, they were sick of the snow and <laughs> didn't want to get out. I was like, just give it give it 10 minutes. That's my rule. I'm like, just give it 10 minutes. I'm like, go out 10 minutes. And if, if it's miserable, you don't want to be out there, come back. And then you at least got 20 minutes and you can feel good about doing something. They end up running 50, you know? And, and it's like, and it's like, I think that's just, what's important just remind yourself. It's like, you know, you just got to get the work in, keep the ball rolling. And that's really what's going to lead to the results that you want to see. Yeah. We, we, like my team, we were on Flagstaff for, um, for all of January. And it's like, we would get the storm the day after California was, we were getting the bad storm. So it was just snowing like crazy. And there were a lot of really good runners go, go out there in January. And so, um, so like my team was there, like Grant Fisher was there, Neil Gurley was there, like a lot of, like lots of world-class runners. And well, everybody's a little bit frustrated because they, you know, couldn't get on the tracks because of snow. We couldn't get down the mountain because of snow. You know, more treadmill runs than people probably wanted to do, or just slower runs. You know, in the wind and everything. And the, and then everybody left flag. You know, the beginning of February and started racing. And like Grant Fisher just ran great over in Europe. Neil Gurley just set an Irish record. I mean, an English uh, great great Brit British British record in the 1500 Heather won some miles like my, my team everybody everybody ran well coming out of flag and no one had a perfect training camp so that's like you know get the work in you know don't don't complain that much just see what you can do and do your best and you're still gonna run well 
Yeah. To wrap up the principles and put a bow on it, the fifth one is consistency is king. And I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this has heard that uh, a million times. They probably heard it so many times that they sort of like brushed it aside. But why is that such an important principle for you? Yeah, just because I think, I mean, it's, it's related to the other ones that we've just talked about. You know, you just, you're taking little steps, like we're just going, you know, we're going A to B to C to D. We're not trying to go A to G to S. And if you're consistent, you're going to just, you can just keep climbing up the ladder, like one, one rung at a time. And I think, I think, and when you're consistent, I tell my team all the time is like, if we're consistent and we're not missing many days, when we do have to miss a day, it's not a big deal. Or when we do have to miss a workout, you know, if life gets in the way, it's not, it's not a big deal. deal. It's not the end of the world. And, um, and, and I really believe that in my heart, you know, and like, it's the same thing with doing like, if you do 10 B plus workouts and then you have to go travel somewhere for work, work and you miss one, it's not the end of the world. You're still going to be there. But if you only could do three workouts and you were dinged up and you got one in and you're dinged up, then missing one, it could add up, you know? So, you know, being, being really consistent with your training and having nice routines and taking care of yourself is, um, it's really important if you want to run well, I think. Yeah. And if I could add something to that too, it's just to be patient as well. Like this stuff's not going to happen over, happen overnight. And I think just in our, our world today, like, you know, even outside of running, we want instant everything, uh, instant access to things. We want instant results. And it's like, there are no magic bullets. I mean, you know, people ask me all the time, like, should I be doing double threshold workouts? I should have said that. (laughs) You know, (laughs) uh, should I be doing double threshold workouts? And it's like, you could, but it's not a magic bullet. You know, it's not going to mean like all of a sudden you're a world beater tomorrow. It's just consistent, you know, smart, training over a long period of time that's going to get you where you want to go. It's very simple stuff, but it's not easy. Um, and I think that's just one of the biggest takeaways of of your book. And really what I appreciate about it is like there's so much good knowledge in there, but you don't overcomplicate it at all. And it's very approachable in that way. And I think someone can pick this up. They don't have to be at the level of someone on on New Balance Boston. They could just be getting into serious training for the first time. And this is going to give them the foundation that they need for long-term success, whether they're racing the mile, the marathon, or something in between. Awesome. Yeah, that was 100% the goal. We tried not to be like scientists. We tried to make it, um, you know, like how I was coach, how I want to be coached. And um, hopefully we get that across. It sounds like we do. (laughs) Yeah, I think you guys did a a great job of it. So, I mean, for anyone listening to this, I mean, the book is Personal Best Running, Coach Coogan's Strategies for the Mile to the Marathon. It's available now. There are a lot of excerpts floating around online. There's one on Runner's World not that long ago. I think they're going to pop up in some other places soon. So if you want to get a taste of it, I think those are some good places to do so. But I mean, a lot of what we talked about in this conversation was in the book and you and Scott expound upon it a lot further in there. So I thank you for writing it. It's going to have a place on my bookshelf forever. And it's right up there with, I I, I honestly got me in this, like some of the best um, training books on running that have ever been written. So kudos to you. Thank you. That makes me feel good. That really makes me feel good. Thank you. All right, that's it for this one. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen in. If you could, please leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you're tuning into this from. It means a lot to me, and it helps new listeners to discover the show. Also, a big thank you to my annual partners, Tracksmith, 
New Balance, Precision Fuel and Hydration, and Gooder for making it possible. Check out themorningshakeout.com slash partners to take advantage of some of the discount codes and special offers that are available exclusively to readers and listeners of The Morning Shakeout. Before we go, I'd like to give a quick shout out to John Summerford, who has edited and produced every episode of the podcast, and also Chris Douglas, who is my right-hand man and helps to keep this ship afloat. And that's all I've got. I'm Mario Fraioli, and this has been another episode of the Morning Shakeout Podcast.